0: The Gospel of Mark. I'm going to be starting in chapter 4. Let's see if I can beat you there. Uh, starting in verse 35, we're going to be looking at a series of stories. This is a narrative written by John Mark as the author. Um, and I love Mark's Gospel because it's the first Gospel that was written. And the Synoptic Gospels use about 90% of Mark's Gospel in their Gospel. And... Uh, John Mark, the author, he is uh, just a tremendous storyteller and author and writer. And we see this through the various types of um, literary styles that he uses to get us to understand the main point of the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God okay? So they use these terms called top and tail when reading a book. There's going to be a theme at the very beginning of the book. There'll be a theme at the very end of the book, and it's going to tell you something about the middle of the book. So at the very beginning of the book, we see God from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, the son of God. At the very end of the book, you have the centurion standing in front of Jesus And he says, surely this must be the son of God. So this book is about you understanding exactly who Jesus Christ is, that he is the son of the living God. Um, So it's an amazing book. Happy to be able to open it up to you you guys today. Uh, Let me go ahead and read. Now, usually I just read the whole text. And then I'll come back and unpack it. But it's a, it's a like substantial piece of, of text this morning. So um, I'm going to pray. We're going to read some. We're going to talk about it. We're going to read some more. We're going to talk about it. We're going to do it like that. All right, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity and the gift that we have to be able to gather as a church. We're grateful, Holy Spirit, that you are here to illuminate your word Help us to see great and wonderful and beautiful things in your text this morning, Lord. Will you show us in more beautiful and more profound ways the reality of your gospel and all that you have done to rescue us and make us your kids that you've invited us into your family? Show us who Jesus is and, um, and increase our gratitude, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, I know it's early, but we'll get after it. All right, read with me if you would. Starting in verse 35, this is the word of the Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, so let's unpack this a little bit. So it says, let's get away from the crowd, so we know we have the crowds are always there just around Jesus. Oftentimes, he would actually get in the boat and push off a little bit so he could preach to them just so that he would not be crushed by the crowds are always there so they take off on this journey and they pre- proceed to take the five mile trip across the sea of galilee and this great storm hits them now this is not uncommon in the sea of galilee you have uh, about 60 miles to the north you have Mount Hermon, which is the largest point in the city of in the nation of Israel, they call it the Eye of Israel. Now you have Lebanon and Syria just to the back, but it rises to about nine thousand feet elevation. You can go skiing there in Israel. I don't know if you knew that, but you can ski in Israel on Mount Hermon, and this cold wind could come down through. Um, from the, from the mountain, down the slopes, cross the valley and just kind of slam into this warm Mediterranean air coming off the Sea of Galilee. And these great squalls, these huge storms can instantly arise. And that's what they're faced with in this story. Now the water is coming in the boat and they are afraid of dying. They're afraid of the storm. And so they cry out to Jesus who's in the back of the boat. He's sleeping on a cushion. No doubt, right? He is fully God, but fully man, and he's tired and weary. We see in Mark's gospel, which is, I love the way Mark writes, but you see the refrain immediately, 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 as he moves the story along very quickly, and we see this is Jesus on the move, and he's tired, and he's asleep in the back of the boat, and they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, Jesus, Can't you see that we're perishing? Do you not care for us? Now Jesus stands, and he speaks to a storm. Just let that sink in a little bit. And he rebukes the storm, it says. The word he uses where he says peace, is the same word when, he, when a demon-possessed man stood up in the synagogue and started to confess who Jesus was, and he says, be quiet. This is what he says to the storm. Stop. Stop talking, storm. <laughs> just stop. And then he says to the waves, be still. So just in your mind, picture this, if you would. Raging storm. Jesus says, peace, be still, and whew. A great calm hits them. And fascinating, these men that were with Jesus, it says that they were afraid of the storm. But now, they're terrified of Jesus. They are terrified of Jesus. And they ask the question. And it's interesting, too, because, let me back up a little bit, because Jesus says to them... um, do you still not believe? You have little faith. And as if to say, don't you know who I am? Why are you afraid? And then he does this great thing and they still say, who is this? <laughs> I find that fascinating. They don't quite get it. But they're they're terrified of Jesus. Now I want you just for a moment to think about this because we could tend to look at the at the disciples and see bumbling maybe or be like why don't they get it like they're with him how come they don't understand but i want you to see jesus if you would just kind of looking past the 12 and past the boat through the quarters of time and he's just looking at you today and he's saying why are you afraid do we not deal with fear ourselves Don't we struggle with fear from time to time? And maybe, you know, life, if you've lived any amount of time, which some of you have here, we see that life is fickle, right? You just don't know what's going to happen. At any moment, anything could happen. You could get one phone call, and all of a sudden, your life is going to go sideways, Now, this context of this message is not really about the storms of your life. I just want you to know that. This is really about the fear of God. But still, it teaches that when we're in storms, our tendency can be to do the same thing right here, which I I believe is good, to cry out to Christ. And we may even say, where are you? Are you sleeping? Can't you see What I'm going through? Can't you see the pain that I'm in? Can't you see the struggle of my life? Can you see where I'm at? I'm drowning. Can you see me, Lord? And we cry out to him. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things, and we're going to see this play out every single time from every one of these stories, and that is, Jesus is always available. He's always available. He will never turn anybody away that would come to him. He's available. Secondly, he's willing. He's willing to help you. He's willing to. He's available to help you. He's willing to help you. And thirdly, he's able. We see this very clearly. These people are drowning in a littler storm. They say, can't you see this? Don't you care? And he stands up. He corrects their theology a little bit. And then he deals with the situation. He does care. And if you were in Christ, which I hope all of you are in Christ, if you were in Christ, he says, nobody can snatch you from my hand. You guys familiar with that? Yeah? Yeah? That means every storm that comes your way is happening right here in the palm of the hand of Christ. Okay? That means you actually are very safe because Christ has you. Amen? Amen. Let's read on. They come to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately, there's our word, they met him, there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he rinsed the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. No one had the strength to subdue him. "'Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, "'he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. "'And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, "'and he fell down before him, "'and crying out with a loud voice, he said to him, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, "'son of the Most High God?'' "'Note, just a simple note really quick. "'The disciples ask, "'Who then is this?' "'The demon-possessed man answers their question.' Now, a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they were begging him, saying, "'Send us into the pigs and let us enter them.' So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd of pigs, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, the herdsmen fled, and he told, "'In the city and in the country, and people came and saw what had happened,' And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man who had, who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Once again, we see this issue of fear. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Okay. Okay. So here we have Jesus. They arrive at the shore. Immediately, this man with these demons rushes down, falls on his face before Jesus, and begins to beg him earnestly to not just send him out, but to send him into these pigs. He says, what is your name? He says, Legion. So, I mean, technically up to a thousand, potentially demons inside of this man. Now, we're meant to take note of that. Just like we're meant to take note of the fact that the storm that Jesus calmed wasn't just a little storm. It was a squall. It was a massive storm, and Jesus' power over that. And this isn't just one demon. This is a thousand demons. But Jesus does not roll up his sleeves like he's about to do battle. He just simply says with the word, I give you permission. You can now leave. And the pigs run down into the water. They die. They die. The herdsman then runs away and begins to tell everybody what's happening. And then we'll unpack the rest of that in a second. So I want us to just, this story actually gives me great hope. So here we have a man who might be the worst condition of any human being in the Bible. He's living in tombs, he's naked. He's screaming. He's cutting himself with rocks. They've bound him, but he breaks the chains. Nothing... Okay, so we work in downtown Pasco, and oftentimes we'll see people with conditions that look similar to this. They may be screaming at a wall. They may be swinging their arms at the air, at this invisible foe, that you can't see and they're probably talking in gibberish out to them and you may look at that person and go "Whew, that's scary right or there's no hope for that person they're beyond help they're gone i'm sure that's what these townspeople thought of this man he's beyond hope there is no hope for him but this story right here gives me great hope because of Christ. He has the power to heal any human being. And he's available. And he's willing. And he's able to do so. It is the power of Christ and the gospel itself that can change the human heart, that can cleanse a person. Even like this, we see it happening. One of the girls that is at Grace Kitchen. We got to baptize her. She was incarcerated 169 times. She was in state prison six times. She was addicted to heroin for 25 years and was trapped in trafficking. That was most of her life. She just got out of prison for doing three years when she came to Grace Kitchen. she had only run and run and run and run and run. But she ran into Jesus <laughs> at Grace Kitchen. And Jesus changed her forever. He changed her life. Because of Christ, there is so much hope for the lost and broken people in this world. And the fact is, who else did Jesus talk to when he went over there? He's like, hey guys, there's a guy over there. Five miles. Let's go. He needs me. He needs help. That's the power of Christ. Is that amazing? There is so much hope, even for the lost and very broken people. God ac- actually really, really loves those people. He really loves them. We've seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. And I'm like charismatic with a seatbelt, okay? So um, we see Jesus blow open the doors for Grace Kitchen because he absolutely loves these women who are lost and hurting and broken and very much invisible to most of the society here in the Tri-Cities. He loves them. Well, there's a couple other things we should see here because there is this contrast that we see that we should take notice of. And the contrast is between the way these townspeople react to Jesus and the way this healed man reacts to Jesus. So one of them is correct. One of them is incorrect. The townspeople first. So they all come running down there. They're probably maybe upset because they're pigs. I don't know. But they see this man. They know who he is. They knew uh, his condition was desperate. They tried to subdue him, but they couldn't. And now they see him there clothed and in his right mind. And they are afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of him. Because they know that a person with this kind of power, well, he's going to demand a lot. And we don't really want Jesus to interrupt our life. We kind of like it the way it is. Actually, kind of similar to the religious leaders. They didn't want Jesus to interrupt their way of doing things either. So these people respond in a way that many people respond to Jesus still today, which is, Jesus, please go away. We don't want anything to do with you. We see the power that you have. It's terrifying to me. I want my own life. I don't want to have to be accountable to you. Please leave Sadly, that's still the response of many people today, is it not? Come on, church, right? Well, then we have this man who receives this miracle, okay? I want you to understand that he is not so different than you. If you have been saved by Christ, how narrowly did you escape death and hell? Because your gift of grace was a free gift that you received from God. And he rescued you at a great infinite cost to himself. He sent his son to come and live a perfect life in your place and go to the cross and die a substitutionary death for you on the cross in your place. Jesus died so that you could be saved. That is a miracle, my friends. That's a miracle of God's grace. And so if you have received that today, you are a walking miracle just like this gentleman. A miracle And we see his response, and this is a correct response, and we'll see it again. But he says, Jesus, I just want to follow you. I just want to follow you. That's all I want. I don't care about anything else. Please, Jesus, can I just follow you? And I love Jesus' response because the kingdom of God is set in motion. And he says, no, actually, you're going to go and you're going to tell everybody about me. And it's kind of like a missionary. He sends them out. Go and tell everybody about the mercy of God. I feel like that's for all of us. He's telling us the same thing. If you have received this incredible gift of God's grace... At a great cost to himself, he has rescued you and made you a child of God. He's telling us, too, go and tell everybody about the mercy of God that he's had on you. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's read on. Where are we at here? Okay. So now they're going to make the five-mile journey back across the Sea of Galilee and they're going to be arriving at the, so- at the shore there in Capernaum and this is what happens. Now when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers from the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Do you see how available he is? See how willing he is? We'll see he's able as well. Well, a great crowd followed around him, and they're thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, e- If I touch even his garment, I will be made well. But immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately he turned about in the crowd and he said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, So here Jesus arrives at Capernaum. Jairus is a leader of the synagogue. He comes to him in the middle of the day, runs down there, throws himself at the feet of Christ, and begs him earnestly, will you please come and heal my daughter? Now I think about this, and it's like, for Jairus, i'm sure he had lost hope but then he hears this thing hey jesus is here he's down there at the beach maybe he can help you so he runs down there and he asks him and again we see jesus says yeah i'll go let's go let's go right now see how available and willing he is to help you to help people so they take off. There's this hurried procession as they're now going to be heading to Jairus's house to heal his daughter, but something happens along the way. This woman who has had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. She's been sick. Now in this culture we know that she's ceremonially unclean as a result of this. She is ostracized. She's marginalized. She's going to be pushed to the margins of society. She's desperate. She's just as desperate as the man living in the tombs. She's just as desperate as the men who are dying in the boat of drowning. She's desperate. And in her desperation, she says, I just have to get to Jesus. I just got to get to him. I just have to get to him. Now, There's something going on here because we see one of the usual kind of suspects, one of the usual uh, characters, if you will, of the Gospels is the crowd. They're just always there, but they're never good. They're just always in the way. And that often happens in Christianity. There can be something in the way of keeping you from getting to Jesus. And you may even see Boy, I have a desperate condition. I've really got to get to him. I've heard he's here, I heard he's available, he's willing. I've got to get to him, whatever it costs. And we're gonna see and what we see in the scriptures is there's this situation that happens where somebody realizes how desperate they are, and they say, I gotta get to him, and they end up on their face before Christ, and they're healed. So the the, the crowds are always just these nameless faces. They're always around Jesus. They're always around, like, the church. They kind of see Jesus from afar. They're, like, looking for Jesus to do some cool stuff. Want to see him do a miracle. But they're never like, I need to get to him. They're just kind of in the way. But in order to really experience Christ you're going to have to get through the crowd. Because you really don't experience Jesus in a crowd. You're going to have to get out of the crowd because the crowds are not recognized. You don't know who they are in the scriptures. You never know who they are. They're just nameless faces. But then one face comes out of the crowd and they interact with Christ. And they're changed forever as a result. So If you know that you're just a face in the crowd, but you've never really experienced Christ, I would implore you to take a really good look at your heart, take stock of what is there, and realize your desperate condition. You need a new heart. You need Christ. You must have Him. There's only one essential thing in this whole world. Essential is you must have. And that's Christ. Everything else is up for debate. You must have Christ. He is the only answer in this world. So you got to do whatever. You got to be like this woman here who has this issue. She realizes, in no uncertain terms, there is no hope for me whatsoever. My only hope is Jesus. I must get to him. And so she does. She reaches out. She touches him. And Jesus is like, somebody touched me. And there's this little rebuke from the 12. They're like, what do you mean? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. He says, no, dunamis, right? This power has left me. I felt it. And so he gives some time. And now this woman comes forward and she's filled with fear, rightfully so, because she's unclean and he is a kosher rabbi. She could have been stoned to death as a result of this. But she does, because she's as good as dead anyways. And then Jesus responds to her, and he says, okay, you have some kind of understanding of me, but it's probably not right or good enough. You really need to understand who I really am. You need to understand what I'm really about. So please tell me your whole story. We see that in the text. It says, and she told him her whole story. Now when you ask somebody to tell you the whole story you know you should probably grab a chair and sit down because it's going to be a little while probably if they're going to tell you the whole story. So she tells the whole story to Jesus and here we have another snapshot into the heart of God himself. I want you to see how incredibly tender Jesus is. How thoughtful he is. He says Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You're healed. I don't know what you think about Jesus or what you think he's like, but he is the exact imprint of the Father. And so if you're wondering, what is Jesus really like? Actually, I have this scripture here. Listen says he is the imprint of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and in him is uh, before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the exact imprint of the Father. So when you see him respond like this, you have a window into the heart of God himself. He is gentle, and he is lowly in heart. He cares for the lost and the broken. He cares for people, and he is so tender, daughter. Oh, man, so good. Well, let's read on. Where are we at here? Let's see. Mm-hmm. Here, here we go. Now, the unthinkable happens while this is all occurring, just so you know. It says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. So while Jairus was, or while Jairus, uh, Jesus was speaking with the woman with the issue of bleeding. Now the little girl was sick, but now she has died. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. There's our word fear again. And he allowed no one to follow except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, and when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. And they went in where the child was and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia cumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and there was immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Interesting there, where when he was over in Gersey, he said, "Don't tell everybody what happened." And then here he says, "Don't tell anybody what happened." Right? OK, so now this is interesting. And Dr. Keller, um, when he was talking about, in one of his sermons or I don't know if it's in one of his books, but he mentioned um, that when you come to Jesus for what you need, you're always going to get more than you bargain for. OK? You're going always going to get more than you thought. So this guy, Jairus, comes to Jesus because he wants his daughter healed. But now his daughter has died. And he tells Jesus, and Jesus says, well, I'm going anyways. Because for Jesus, whether she's sick or whether she's dead, it doesn't matter because he's God. And then he looks at Jairus and he says, Don't fear. Only believe. Now, I doubt Jairus really thought he was going to have to really believe in Jesus, but now he's going to have to really believe in Jesus. And that's what Jesus is after. And so they go to the house, and there's all of these people out there wailing and carrying on. They would have been musicians with flutes and things kind of playing out of key to promote the idea of the chaos around death. All these things would have been happening. And they're like, why are you here? She's dead. And Jesus is like, no, she's sleeping. And they laugh at him. Because in this culture, it's believed these are like professional mourners. And they kind of know dead when they see dead. And so they're kind of mocking Jesus. And Jesus sends them out. And he walks into where this little girl is. And, and he looks at her. And he says these words, telithia cumai." Now, uh, or could be kumi, I'm not sure, it's or kumi, but he, anyways, he says this, and um, this is not some kind of like incantation that you say these things, and it rises a person from the dead, this is simply a little term of endearment, you know, if you have daughters, maybe you have little pet names for them, mine is jelly bean, my jelly bean right here, sometimes I call her french fry, right, but it's kind of like that, it's this little term of endearment, which is like sweetie, And he says to this little dead girl, hey, honey, sweetie, do you hear the tenderness of Christ? It's time to get up. And he takes her by the hand and he lifts her out of death. Pretty amazing. Who can do something like that? Who can do something like that? Now let's kind of tie these stories together and we'll be done. I want us to see that there's not really just like kind of one storm. There's really like five storms kind of going on here. So we have first a literal storm where these gentlemen are fearing for their lives and they're dying, but they become very desperate. Okay? So this kind of melodic line that's going to tie these together is the desperate nature of all of these people. It's really crucial they are desperate so they cry out to Christ he's available he's willing he's able and he does he rescues him goes to the shore meets this demoniac who comes down there full of demons he's available he's willing he's able he heals this man not just any man but a man very extreme like I said probably the worst condition of any human in the Bible and he heals him Thirdly, we go to Jairus. His daughter's dying. She's desperate, or he's desperate, I should say, for his daughter. He runs to Jesus. He's available, he's willing, he's able. And he goes, the woman with the issue bleeding, she's desperate. She falls down before him. Jairus falls down before him. The demon-possessed man falls down before him. And then this little girl, she's in the greatest storm of life which is death it's a storm that every single one of us is going to go into what is on the other side the storm of death and the question is do you have the hand of the one person who can pull you through to the other side Have you become desperate about your condition of sin and the brokenness of this world? Do you see how desperate you are for God's grace? Have you called out on him to rescue you? Do you realize that he is your only hope? I hope so. I hope you do. Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for you that you have conquered sin and Satan and death and hell through the cross of Christ. You've come and you've taken rebels and you've made them into children. You've given us a seat at your table in Christ and we are your beloved is amazing Father now as we close this time of worship we want to lift up those who are here today potentially that have never actually realized their desperate situation they've never seen their condition as desperate they didn't know how close they are to going to hell forever but you have made a way that no one should have to perish, but all could come to saving faith in Christ, Lord. And so we ask and we pray even now for those who are here today that maybe have never known you, they've never stepped out of the crowd and come to experience who you are. We pray for grace and mercy for them today, Lord, that they would experience life and life abundant, that you would cause them to have a new heart and be regenerated and be welcomed into the family of God where they can know you and experience you and enjoy you forever. Amen.